that's great because you can look out to the baby and be at home. Yeah, and, that's the one. But so you know, like they didn't have a table and they didn't have a chair. You know, they just have those mattresses. Oh. So I'm like, oh boy, how are we gonna put this? Yeah, that's that's like the <laughs> that's the one thing you need is so a table and a we, chair. she has this kind of like mattress, like thinner than this, like mattresses. So she put three or three or four of them. She piled it up, and uh, you know, she like she's like there a table. But it's basically like this high, you know? So she's uh, sitting on the floor, she has the thing, and her pedal is like here. She's like in this position. And I'm like, oh my god. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Working Refugee Crisis Jordan podcast. I'm your host, Colin Campbell. And if you made it this far, if you listened to all three before this, I'm impressed. And thank you for supporting. Uh, we're going to keep, keep trying to come out with one a week or so. Um, and I'm always looking for great people to interview here in Amman. So I have my baby with me right now. That's real life. So if you hear any noises, oh, she's just grabbing my phone. Um, that's her. Alma, you want to say hi? <laughs> Are you going to say hi, Alma? <laughs> <laughs> there she is. Anyways, so this interview is with uh, our fourth episode here with Mei Hayashi, um, who run, works for the NGO Nika, N Nico, N-I-C-C-O, um, the Nippon, um, oh, come on, stop grabbing my phone, the Nippon International Cooperation for Community, Deve uh, Community Development. Um, but... She actually also, she's better known around Jordan for her work with a Joria, which is a nonprofit social business um, that does products. They sell, pro um, you know, bags and purses and things, uh, um, and tribology, which is her own personal kind of fashion line. So um, I met her. Uh, first at a little bazaar, an outside little bazaar in Double Web Day when we first moved here, and I thought, whoa, this is really cool. These these like book covers and bags with Syrian fabric. I think we bought one for my sister for a Christmas present, <coughs> um, and they had little purses and embroidery. I had already been looking into doing an embroidery project. You know, I've been thinking about Herfa heritage and actually embroidered hats before that, um, and so struck up a conversation, kept in touch with her. Started seeing their stuff, Tribology and Joria, um, items sold at stores like Mwabas and Markets, Shelfie, other, other stores around um, Amman. And, uh, and then eventually, <coughs> later on, actually decided to uh, partner up with Tribology with, with May. And uh, I picked three of my favorite designs that, uh, little purses and things uh, of embroidery that her women embroidery, um, embroider. And uh, we made three pocket designs with my pocket shape for Herfa Heritage, which is my, uh, my wife and I's social business apparel brand. If you haven't heard about Herfa, um, go back to our introduction episode or check out HerfaHeritage.com. That's H-E-R-F-A, uh, Heritage.com. And um, May is just a really awesome person, really interesting visual. She's been in Jordan now for eight years. Uh, the first four being in Petra, doing tour guiding and then working with local women down there and coming to Oman. And that's one of my lo the longest expats I've met here. Um, there's some long timers, but that's pretty long, uh, long time. She knows the country well. She's seen a lot of changes 
and um, she's just she's done some really interesting work and seen the Syrian crisis really take effect. So she works with with Syrian and Jordanian women and does training on sewing <laughs> um, and um, and some other psychosocial activities involved with Nico. Uh, I think it's a great interview. She has a great story. She's a really interesting person. The whole Japanese culture mixed with Jordan. Studied in America. Um, lived in Switzerland. Studied in Switzerland as well. Uh, she has a great story and it's really interesting. She's a super cool person. Her products are beautiful and amazing. Um, I'll put a link to her website so you can check out her stuff or where to find it in Amman in the uh, bio. And um, just enjoy episode four with Mei Hayashi of Nico and Joria and Tribology. So... Thank you again for supporting us, and if you do have ideas or suggestions for our interviews, or if you want to hear more about what Alma's trying to say, Alma, what do you want to say? <laughs> it's fitting that Alma finally makes it on the podcast in episode four, since I am a stay-at-home dad, that's my primary job, and uh, you know she gets to be part of this too, so have a great day. Thanks for listening. I do have to say I really like your um, I like your decorations here. Yeah. Thank nice. you. <laughs> like pillows everywhere and stuff. And I don't see any embroidered. There's no embroidered pillows. No, though. we don't want to sit on there because you'll ruin it. Oh right, those are more for show. The embroidered pillows. Yeah. yeah. Is there like on the chair that like the ah those or like on, no, on the like non comfy chair that no one sits in? Like in my house, we have them on the chairs that no one ever sits in. Right. <laughs> they look nice. Yeah, I wouldn't put it in my house because I know you know like I wouldn't feel comfortable. I mean, this you know fabric is sturdy. Yeah, this is the Syrian fabric and stuff. Um, yeah. Very cool. So, um, uh, inter- so introduce yourself and. Uh, where oh, you're it's from that. and uh, when is it gonna start? It's already started. No, you can't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. It's an organic conversation. We're just talking, so. Okay. Yeah. So, what is your role? Fine. You want me to say your name? <laughs> <laughs> okay. My name is May. I'm from Japan. It's been eight years. I've been living here in Jordan. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah. So, what is the role of your organization, and what does that generally entail? Uh, so I'm working for a Japanese NGO. I won't say the name. Um, we operate. You, up in you can say the name. You can talk about it. Yeah. You, really? Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, but once again, you're not. You know, you don't have to represent the organization. You're right. just talking about your personal story. Okay. So, but I mean, it, people might want to read about it and want to donate or support. I mean, that's part of the idea. Okay. With this, yeah. All right. So Japanese NGO called Nikod. It's a Nippon, no, I'm not going to get into the details, Nikon. 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 <laughs> yeah. Put a link on it. Exactly. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so we operate up in Zarka. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically we have all, all sorts of uh, services, um, you know, distribution to psychosocial programs, to women's empowerment projects, to, you know, psycho- psychological counseling, you know. So I'm more working inside the, the women's program where um, there's the psychosocial, uh, psychosocial workshops, and then we also have a sort of an income generation project. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go into, you want to talk? <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to the details of that. Um, and, um, yeah, so how long have you been living in the Middle East? You just answered that before. You said eight years eight and a half. Eight years. That's, yeah. that's commitment. And all in Jordan? All in Jordan, um, but four years and a half in Petra, and oh, four right. years here in Amman. So let's rewind a little bit, and uh, so where are you from, and how did you get into this type of work? 
I'm uh, from Japan. I was born in Tokyo, but I studied in Switzerland. I went to university in New York. And you went then to I, FIT. Oh, right, right. Fashion yeah. Institute of Technology. School. I think I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was working in fashion in New York and Italy and before I came here. Yeah, so, and then, right. New York and fashion in New York and Italy and then... What's the next step? Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> of course. Bedouin village in Petra riding right. donkeys. Right. Exactly. That's the next pr- a practical step <laughs> exactly. after uh, Paris Fashion Week. Yeah, right. Petra, right? Right, right. I needed a break from the, you know, the jaded fashion design world because like, it was kind of you know, getting, in, getting to me. So yeah, how did you actually how did you make that choice? I think you? really, I was like getting really tired of from the, you know, everything was starting to get saturated because like, yeah, you've seen that movie, um, Prada wears the Devil Wears Prada. Ah, uh, yeah, a little bit pieces. It, it's yeah. exactly like that. Basically, I used to have like crazy, psychotic like bosses who were screaming for nothing, giving you attitude. And you know, in the fashion world, you just have to be proud of the name of the company that you're working for, and yeah. that's it. You know, and like it didn't have so much like a spiritual meaning to it. So I like the you know creative concept, you know creative creativity. But I didn't like the, the the fact that I was working in this like kind of shallow fashion design world. Yeah. So I think were you working for one fashion brand designer? Yeah, I was working for Armani yeah. in okay. uh, New York. Armani Exchange. Heard of that. Armani Exchange. Yeah. Everyone's heard of that. Everyone's heard of that. <laughs> yeah. um, in right. in Italy, they're a big one. I mean, they're like, they're like quite a huge big. company. Obviously, a strong name. But yeah, like a lot exactly. Of your cog and you're a, like little person, like yeah. a little wheel inside it. But th- that company was fairly good. When okay. I came to Italy. It kind of the quality of my life went went down, like in the in the work wise, because the people were really, really, really like bitchy, in at work, and uh, yeah, I also worked for Miss Sixty. I don't know if you have heard of it. Miss Sixty. Okay. It's like this. It used to be this like kind of trendy jeans, you know, sportswear kind of. Thing. Okay, sounds familiar. Yeah, the company was really nice. It's just that you know, just the whole bosses being crazy and just the whole I don't know. It's too bureaucratic it's too political you can never yeah. be creative in there you know yeah it's funny I had friends in the fashion world in LA and I heard similar things you know out mm-hmm. there like where like you, what you get into it doing and studying and whatnot is really fun but then when you get into the I mean, like a lot of industries, but the bureaucracies, and then you're like not really being creative because mm-hmm. you just have to churn out stuff, and it's yeah. mass market and it's, or cheap quality, whatever it is, and exactly. then and then you're like it kind of destroys what you actually your passion was mm-hmm. to start with the beginning. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of them they they copy a lot, and you know they just oh, like yeah. when the prototypes come out, they they're so happy they think that it's on their design, but it's not. It's like everything is copied, and it's yeah. just like really disgusting. So anyway, like I was actually taking a break when I came to the Middle East the first time, and uh, yeah, I was just on the break riding donkeys, you know, exploring. Petra. You just wanted to like go do Petra as a tourist, and yeah, you well, just actually, had heard about. Have you heard, like? Did you have any friends here? Or you just heard about? No, no, no. Just uh, I heard about it, but I, you know, I was having difficulty like renewing my <coughs> work visa in Italy after okay. four years of being there. Because, like, the immigration just changed the procedure and, you know, like, I just have to wait for, like, six months up to one year. That's what they told me. Okay. And that's why, like, during the waiting time, I decided to travel. And Jordan was the first place I came because, you know, I always wanted to come, but, you know, I never had the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, Because of the seven wonders of the world? Like... Because a long time ago, I don't know, I had a friend, long time ago, you know, yeah. I had a friend who came to Petra and she told me about it. She told me it was like this magical place. Yeah. I don't know. I was just kind of curious, but like, you know, my friends wouldn't want to go to the Middle East. Right. So I never really like could choose to go there, you know. Right. 
So, you know, this time I was just going to travel on my own. So I said, okay, well, where I want to go on my own? I said, okay, let me just go to Jordan. Yeah. And that's well, how. And when you're in Italy, it's really not that far. I it's mean, not far, It's yeah. a lot easier from Japan or from America. Coming here is a bigger deal, more yeah, expensive. But, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and then it was a beautiful surprise. I did not, I didn't come to spend so much time in Amman. But, you know, I traveled a lot in the South and it was just so fascinating. It was just like the complete opposite world from, you know. From that even culture, yeah. Exactly. I mean, and even in eight years, like a lot of change in Jordan, I'm serious. Yeah. Machine, a lot. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the Bedouin village, it didn't change that much. Well, it's still like kind of yeah, like Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's probably some more. Yeah. No, but, but still, yeah, I mean, yeah, it changed. It definitely what, changed. What originally attracted you to this career? You know, if you tell me that, like, when did you start? Passion design? Yeah, like in high school or before that or your family? Like, I think I always liked, like, making things with my hands because since when I was, like, still in elementary school, yeah. you know, I would buy a pair of pants or whatever, and if I didn't like it, I would just start cutting up and, like, remaking it. Yeah. So even before I learned how to make the sewing machine, use the sewing machine, I was doing that by hand. Now, did you ever do anything with your hands, like... I, just, I think I've heard of this thing called origami. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, we learned this when we were three. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a stereotype. But I wonder, I mean, it is, everyone does it with their kids with their hands. Yeah, that's what that. you do. Is that what you start with and then you start making clothing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, when I was six or seven, there was this, like, uh, this program in the TV. And there was this, like, girl wearing this, like, school uniform with this, like, protective me metallic thing on their arm like on their forehead, you know, like they have this thing, you know, they go around beating the bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved that show. And I loved the stuff that, you know, the protective sh like shield that she was wearing. So I would make that out of like fabric or paper when I was like six or seven. So That's you see cool. just to, and even like, you know, those leather cut uh, half a finger globes. Yeah, yeah. She was wearing that too because she used to like. Or she was, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I couldn't find any, you know, globes that, of my size because I was too tiny. But I would make that out of like fabric or paper, you know, just taping the paper together and just, I, you know, so That's I think cool. I was into making stuff since ever I was born. Yeah, that, that, I like that. Mm. Um, and so, uh, well, I guess what other countries and places you already kind of talked about that. Um, and um, and then, so how did you come to your current role? I know that's a little bit of a broad question because you do different roles. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess start with start with the Petra experience, and then and then come. I when I went to Petra, well, of course, I didn't find any fashion design in there, and I didn't want to live in Amman, so I went to live in this like rural area of Petra, like Bedouin village. So, you know... And when you rolled up, you were a tourist, literally thinking you're going for a couple of days or something. Oh, no, but I, that was not the first time. Oh, you know, okay. I came here, you know, like I stayed here for 10 days, just, you know, touring around, and I went back to Italy. And then I came back after that for like a month, but, you know, I went to Jerusalem, I went to uh, Egypt, you know, I went, I was here. And then kind of like I was like already making some friends here. And I was doing back and forth. And they said, well, you know, if you have... Like, if you're looking for a job, you can work in the tourism since you speak, you know, different languages. Mm. Um, and I said, okay, well, you know, maybe Italy is, is not ready for me. I could get some, you know, job for a few months and then I can go back when my time is Oh, okay. Ready. So you were still kind of like up on the back. In between, leave. just waiting, you know, traveling and waiting for my visa to come up. And that's how I decided to apply to like 10 different travel agencies. And I just sent them, sent them like email, um, my CV 
through the email and I wasn't even expecting to get replies but they all answered and they're all like eager to meet me mm. so before once like uh, before I went back to I Italy I did yeah lots of interviews here in Amman and uh, one in Petra and the one in Petra it was the most particular because like the travel agencies here in Amman they're all offering me to stay sit in their office and do the boring office work which no, I was in mainly in English or Japanese what was your angle um well English is good. Japanese, they didn't have that much Japanese clients, but they're right. excited to get new Japanese clients. Uh, mainly like here, because there are a lot of French tourists, um. French speaking, you know, like Swiss, Canadians, yeah. you know, French, because these are the people who like trekking. Right. So I also speak French because I used to live in Switzerland right. when I was younger. What so languages do you not speak, man? <laughs> a lot. You speak, so you speak four. I speak uh, English, Japanese, Ara Arabic halfway, Italian, and French. And Italian, you picked up Italian. Just yeah, because when I was living there, yeah. That's a good, that's a good combo. But no, <laughs> no Spanish yet. Spanish is there because Italian and Spanish right. is so close. Yeah. So I can kind of figure it you out. You could go for a month and you'd be fluent. Yeah, Spanish but, but because Italian and Spanish is so similar, like it's difficult to leave from Italian and go to Sp right, Spanish, right. you know, because yeah. like now it's on my tongue. When we used to, when we travel with my dad in Spain, he, he would speak, oh, he, no, sorry, in Italy, he would speak in Spanish. Spanish. And it's really funny because people would be like, um, like you can kind of communicate some things get thrown off yeah. it works but they're like why is this American guy talking yeah talking <laughs> Spanish grass, in Italy grass, I'm grass. like we speak English you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to practice Spanish with any chance he could it was always this funny thing like yeah, that yeah, yeah. grazie grazie that's that's <laughs> um Okay, so so that was so you how you did how long did you do the tourism thing for? So I did the tourism thing the whole time that I was in Petra, and okay. I'm actually still doing it on a freelance, you know, like consultant from distance, because yeah, like basically, so I decided to go to the travel agency in Petra because they're offering the half time, like you know, sitting in the office, and then the other half time was to be like walking with the tourist, like a um, tour leader. Yeah. So like all this like uh, French speaking uh, groups. In Petra, like just Petra, Wadi Araba, Wadi Ram. You know when they go camping and hiking, that's when they need like a French speaking guide and uh, preferably like another French speaking assistant. Yeah. So that because when it's like a group of fifteen people, one guide is not enough, right? So I'll be like you know the assistant part, and it was amazing because I walked with them like in all parts of desert during that yeah. four years and a half. Um, and this was, let's also remember, this is kind of heyday before the Syrian war, right? Generally, yeah. a little, I mean, just yeah, before. Yeah, exactly, so, like, this is before. Because I mean, I've heard Petra like eight to 10 years ago, they had you know double the crowds of now. Yeah, for more. sure, yeah. And so, and, and so now. Since five, six years ago, it's just yeah. like, you know, started decreasing. You know, when people just aren't coming to the region in general, they're coming here more than anywhere else. But yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, before so, they had good uh, clients. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's when it got, I forget when they got the, Petra got the seven point of the world. That was maybe 2012? Oh, was it? Maybe that's when the prices went up. Like, it oh, became like 50 JD. Yeah. Before it used oh, to be so, 21. So when you were there, it wasn't yet. It was 21 for one day, not 50. 21 JDs? Yeah. And it wasn't considered a wonder of the world yet. I mean, people knew it was amazing, but it wasn't. Yeah, I think while I was there, it became. It got voted on that big contest. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah I think the so. News, the new seven or something. Okay. I think so. Oh, Interesting. Maybe not. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, and then how did you transition into 
So after I did that for four years and a half, walking around in the desert, riding donkeys, you know, making fire in the in the <laughs> caves with the Bedouins, you know, it was nice. But you know, I said, okay, well, I have to go back to my life, you know, at some point. <laughs> and I realized it's been four years and a half that I've been doing that. And I said, oh my God, I should go back to the civilization. Yeah. And you know, and I, you know, things led to another, and I just decided to you know, leave Bedouin village because I wanted to kind of like, you know, I have to, I wasn't going to be doing that for all my life. Yeah. And I have to you start. You weren't going to be married to a Bedouin. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that was not my thing. What's her name again? Uh, Margaret. Margaret. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I decided to move out, but I wasn't sure if I was just going to leave out of Jordan or if I wanted to kind of like, you know, test the life in uh, Amman to see if I find it because I, I didn't like Amman too much you mm. know in the beginning so but I said okay well if I didn't see the rest of uh, the Bedouin village it's not fair for Jordan to say that I have seen the rest right. of Jordan right? Right, right so I said okay I'll go to Amman and I'll try something and if I don't like it I can just go back to Italy I can go to other places and so that's how I decided to move in here and in the beginning, like the first six months, you know, I had so much time because I wasn't working really, even though I had like, you know, by, by you know, in, in distance, so I was working, still collaborating with yeah. the travel agency. But you, did you, didn't you start, did you start some work in Petra with the women as well? That, Design? it was like, it was not as intense as now. Right. I tried to do, because I was always making clothing. You when know? you were down there? I was down there. More and I tried to, you know, Women's clothing some, and stuff? Yeah, cafe addresses. Cafe addresses, oh yeah. right, I've seen those, yeah. Um, yeah. But, so yeah, I did try to sit with some girls and, you know, try to teach them how to use the sewing machine, but they were not, they didn't have any patience. Because a lot of them, they go, they get on the donkey, they go down to Petra, and they sell trinkets to the, the tourists. They can easily bring back like 10 JD, 20 JD a day. So why would they sit home, not making money initially, and uh, you know, you have to try hard right. to learn something. So they didn't have that kind of like motivation, you know. And then so basically when I came here to Amman, and I started volunteering because I had so much time, you know, that's what you're supposed to do when you have too much time on your hand. And that's when I came across the uh, Japanese NGO when I right. was working. And yeah, when they, they were already going, they were already pretty... They pretty were just starting the psychosocial program for women, which included the embroidery, knitting, soap making, and cooking. So they were already doing some of that. But that was not income generation. It was just a psychosocial. They were just getting together, moving their hands, talking about their problems or everyday okay. life. Using you know, it as a, as a good as ther- a tool therapy. To, yeah, exactly. And that's okay. how it started. But then after we, you know, we went through that, you know, some of the women, they started saying, saying, okay, now we learned some nice things out of you. But once, you know, you finish all the courses, that's it. You know, you go back home and sit and do nothing. And this was refugee women at this point? It could be. They, it always have to program. be both. It, has to be, it always has to be both, right? Because Jordan requires yeah. you yeah. to take at least like 30% of the Jordanians. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise right. it's not fair. My last interview, same exact. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that thing. Yeah. Right. So and, then, and Iraqis too, or Palestinians, uh, Palestinians a lot, like Palestinian Jordanian. You know, maybe yeah. they might already have the nationality, but they all came as uh, refugees like many years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I mean, you know, many the people who are suffering, they're all the same. I mean, they're, it's not just the uh, Syrian refugees, so right, you yeah. know, they don't differentiate. And uh, yeah, some people they started saying, okay, you know, like we want to use those uh, skills so that we can do more. And that's when we decided to, I don't know, first, you know, we let them make things and we tried to sell it. But then we realized that their taste, their choices of colors, their, you know, it's not their 
you know, choices and designs, it's not, I don't know, it doesn't suit the taste of the customers. Yeah, especially if it's, you know, it's either higher class Jordanians or, it depends what you're going for, but, or the expats. Yeah, and stuff. You, have to you know, figure out, yeah. It's not yeah. very professional and, you know, just too much bright colors and not too much. So, yeah, and then so eventually we started thinking, okay, if you want to, you know, make products that are sellable, then maybe we have to start like picking the colors and designs ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they can just do the technical part. So who is we at this point? You, you and a couple This of is them. the NGO and uh, me. different people, yeah. Yeah, and then we started, uh, they, then that's when they hired me, gave me the job okay. as a consultant to be like the design specialist. To design specialist. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we, we just created this like title out of nowhere, which was kind of cool. And yeah, and then I started like, you know, overseeing all the production phase, you know, right. from uh, making the collection to getting the picking the material to distributing the, the, the work, you know, and then when they give it back to me, you know, I do the quality control and, you know, try to get, do the marketing, yeah. you know, so we can sell. So, so at that, that point, was, had you, uh, you started Joria yet? Or so this is basically Joria. This is the Joria that is belonging to the Japanese NGO. Right. So Joria is a brand. Is a brand because of... Jordan, Japan, and Syria. Right. Joria. I, love, I always forget that. But that's such a that's such a great name. At first time I asked, like, what does that mean? And Joria. You're like, yeah. yeah. Just join some words up. <laughs> um, and okay. also because Jori is the the flower that refer, represents uh, Syria. So it's oh right right yeah. And so that um, that name so that was like going to be the Nico. Nicole thing, yeah, their own brand. Their it's own like brand. its own thing, but yeah. it's an NGO. It's a social. It's a non. That's nonprofit. That's nonprofit. So yeah. all, all the mean, money goes back exactly. directly to you know yeah. the women. And, and basically, so when I how I came up with Tribology, I already so, have Tribology. So Tribology was your own personal fashion design brand, which I used to use from before. But mm -hmm. you know, over the, the the course of time, like when I got busy with my tourism job. Like, I didn't have so much time to make my things anymore, right? And I always had this thing, okay, I want to collaborate with the local women. And, you know, my project had been stopped, you know, since like a few, few years back in Petron because mm -hmm. I didn't have time to do it, sit and make things. So when I, you know, started working with the women in Joria, some of them, and I said, well, I asked the, the NGO, can I also give them job from my side? Yeah. Because, you know, I have a line of things that I would like to make. Uh, you know, separate from Joria, you know, I'll just fund all the material and everything, um, you know, and they said it's okay, yeah, the whole yeah. idea is to keep them busy, and as long right. as you can give them more jobs, that's uh, what we want. Right, It's. I mean, that's the essence of social business, like, yeah. the more products and innovation you, exactly. you sell, whether it's local or abroad, yeah. keep them busy, and, and that's, I love, and so, like, and then you pay a flat, how does it work with paying the women for their work? It's um, it really depends on like a, it's not flat rate. It's like it depends on every work has the 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 price, and it depends on the size and the complexity. Usually, like you know, we look at how much time they would spend. You know, the size of the embroidery, mm -hmm. how difficult the the product is. You know, that's how we decide how much we're gonna pay. Of course, keeping into consideration how much is the is going to be the final price. Right. And you know, it has to like be okay the the uh, producing fee and the material <laughs> right. and a little bit portion that goes back to the project because you have to make it sustainable. You have to right. keep on adding, right? So, so what is so what is the process then for? Um, like how do you how do you dole out the work to how many different women do you have and what, how do you dole out the work and then how do they you have a workshop? How do we go out? What yeah, do you would you like to the women? I mean, 
can you just explain how the process works with, mm. you know, because I know some things, but the people listening may not, <laughs> may not like know. Like, how, how do we give out the... Yeah, the yeah. How do you... Yeah, um, because the, most of the women are doing the work in their homes, right? That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. So when it comes to embroidery, usually, so I pick the designs, and usually I make, like, a graph, mm. you know, like, so that, you know, I have this, like, lined paper where I just, like, literally color them with, with the crosses. And I get the colors that I need, and I cut the fabric for them. And when they come to the center to see me, I explain to them, okay, this is the picture I want you to make. These are the colors exactly where and there. And they, you know, they get, you know, five pieces, ten pieces. It depends on the people, you know, how fast they work. Because some women, they have too many children. They have too much to do at home. Mm -hmm. So they don't have enough time to do that many. Right. And maybe if they, you know, one person has, like, many older children, then she has more free time for herself. Right, right, totally. Yeah, so then she can do, like, ten, fifteen pieces easily in one week. So it really depends on, like, the personal um, speed. And these are, and now these are women that have trained... Uh, either they have a past history of doing embroidery or they've trained with one of your workshops? No, most of them, they're just beginners. Really? Yeah. Mm. Um, so basically for How do they learn, yeah? For Joria, basically, like, everyone comes from the, the workshops in uh, Nikod. Okay, so okay. Nikod runs these workshops. These workshops. That started as psychosocial and then exactly. became, like, that, but, but also training. We don't, like, train them so that they can work in a production team. Okay. Because if you have, like, ten people in one workshop, it's really not necessary that like they're going to all of them they're going to want to be part of the production team mm. because you know some people they do it for fun and right. then after that they're happy they don't really need to work or maybe they don't even think to work or it's not their thing they would rather do something thing. else yeah. because maybe their hands don't work exactly. like. I mean it's hard maybe. to do it's such intricate you work you need a lot of patience yeah. for that, right? oh, yeah I know um, so you know and then some of them you know they want to do it so they step up and they say can we do it um, well, tribology, it's, uh, I use a lot of women from Zarkov, uh, coming from the, the Japanese NGO. Mm -hmm. But also here in Amman, I also have like other ladies that I personally meet. And uh, because if they're having difficulties financially, or they, you know, they want to try to you know, make some money somehow, I introduce them also this like embroidery technique or sewing technique privately in mm -hmm. their homes or my home. And uh, that's how they learn. But so, yeah, it's just like either this or that. And the Nikod workshop is in Zarka. In Zarka, only in Zarka. How far? That's like an hour away from It's Mama, like, so. if, without the traffic, 45 minutes from Amman. And it's just in a community center in the, yeah, in the town? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. And then what? that's what they also do, other programs? They do other programs there at the workshop? Yeah, I mean, other we have many programs. So we also have like children, children's uh, acting class because that's a good thing to express oh, yourself, cool. you know, to release your your stress also. So we also have like a Zatari program, we have a Zarka, you know, children's problem pro program. Uh, we have men's carpentry uh, class too. Oh Zarka really? Center. Yeah, it's not the most popular one <laughs> because men are not as motivated as the women, I think. Yeah. I think women's courses are more popular. But uh, yeah, some men come to Interesting. it. Yeah. And um, now do you work on any of those other programs at all? Do you help when I was that? a volunteer, I used to be part of like also the children's English classes and stuff like that. But now, no, I'm just like purely for women's program. And um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, these women, they come, they pick up the work, they go back to their house. When they're finished, they call me, you know, they just make sure that, you know, I'm there because I'm not there every day. 
And yeah, on the days that I'm there, they come to see me. They get paid and they pick up another one. And then you you have a different team that, that sews in your workshop to sew things together to make the pillows or to make the bags? So, I mean, one person cannot do everything because right. usually the people who do embroidery cannot sew right. and vice versa. I, you know, so like once we get we pick up the patches, we I call the other ladies who are capable of sewing. Some of them they have their machines in their house. Some of them they don't, so they come to our center to use like few of the machines that we have. And mm. um, yeah, I explain to them exactly okay how I want it to be with which fabric, which design, and you know they get it done and you know they get paid for that. Yeah, and then how do you get um, distribution out there and how do you sell the products and how does that work? Well, it's so hardcore marketing <laughs> because we have to, you know, put ourselves out there to get more, you know, visit, get more people's attention. So, you know, we put our products in the local stores here. Um, I try to advertise online. I try to contact people overseas. And what's the key? The key word in Jordan is bazaar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bazaar. Not bizarre. Bizarre, bazaar. Bazaar, market souks and stuff. Exactly. So, that exactly. helps because yeah. yeah, like most of the, the That's people. how we actually met. That's how we met. Yeah, you had a booth. In Sukal Sofe, right? Sukal Sofe, yeah, the one in You know that I heard that they're thing. coming back? Oh. They're planning something new, yeah. They're coming back. All right, mm -hmm. we'll have to get get there. Yeah, we're um yeah, that's where we met. I was yeah, I really liked your stuff. I think I bought a couple things and I when I started my you know, my Herpa Heritage brand, I'm like, well, I gotta get some modern, you know, tribology designs, and so we we launched a partnership with. When you came to Jordan, did you already have that idea of like uh, making T-shirts? Um, yeah, kind of. I had started on in Beirut actually. Originally, I started with hats. This is, I don't want to talk too much about me, but <laughs> okay. Um, I started with hats. I've always wanted to start a hat company, and I I still do. You're a hat person. I'm obsessed with hats. Yes, mm -hmm. all kinds. And I was trying to make these like this hat with removable and reversible flaps and okay. it had embroidered flaps and then and then I was thinking about embroidery in the general sense and then I think um, so I was already in contact with it at social business embroidery shop mm. thing uh, embroidery a lot like you actually called Bazmane Zaytuni they're amazing they're in, in Beirut they're in mm. Shatila camp mm. and, um, and then I got here I, we, there's more embroidery here like everywhere right. yeah, even more than Lebanon and mm -hmm. I, you know with this, I think we went to Sujara and Within a couple weeks, I had we bought like I bought some pillows and I saw the coasters and it just hit me and I was like that coaster like is close like that could be a pocket tee yeah. and pocket tees I have pocket tees and they're cool and like and it's subtle and and no one's doing it there's nothing for men to wear in modern style because a lot of the boots that Sutra are all the same mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. but then and then so I kind of did more traditional designs with one cooperative and then I found you and it's mm -hmm. been really cool but I mean not all your stuff's embroidery like I really like your Syrian pillows and bags we bought mm. some other things so for those items you're more you're more sourcing the materials and then yeah. you have women sewing it together for designs yeah exactly yeah. yeah because that's also like another important aspect you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's um, so um, yeah so I guess about Jordan kind of your eight years here um, what do you you know is it what you expected in your time being here? And how have you liked living in Jordan? I think I never expected anything out of Jordan. Because okay. like when I came here, I just came, you know? And everything was just so different from my expectation. Because I didn't have expectations. So it was just everything was so different from the rest of the world that I have known. So it was like really fascinating for me. In a good way and bad way, you know, I guess. But uh, yeah, more good way because I've been here 
this I can't leave. What is what is what is challenging about living here? You say. Well, you know, it's like I guess like anywhere, but here, you know, because the cultural, religious, you know, those things, the background is quite strong. And just remember, like four years and a half, I was living in a very conservative place. Yeah. Um. So you know, in the beginning, when you come to a new place, it's like you're excited. You know, everything is new. Everything looks beautiful. You know, you don't see the negative side of it. You're like, you know, a wonderland, you know. And even like, you know, you try to wear a burqa and you try to wear a hijab and you want to just kind of like try to... You used to wear a hijab? Well, I, sometimes, sometimes I did, you know, especially yeah. in the Bedouin village because yeah. it made more sense. I used to wear this like black uh, regular Arab dress because... Wow. Yeah, because it looks much... Uh, you don't... Yeah, exactly. You blend in. But then the time comes that, you know, that honeymoon phase is finished and then you start like the reality kicks in, you know, and you start to see that size of things that you didn't see before. And you start to understand, I don't know, the words, you know, like sometimes you say when you're learning the new language, you don't feel the weight of the words, Mm -hmm. you know, you're saying it, you kind of know the meaning. So you use it, but you still don't know. Yeah. But you know, there's a time that kicks in that, you know, like the language that you didn't really understand starts to make sense. And then you realize that, that like what you thought it was is so different from what actually actually is. Yeah. I mean, language and culture and right. everything all put together. But I've heard that from people a lot that like when you understand Arabic, like Arabic's more than the language. It's very tied into the culture and the writing and like the calligraphy aspect and yeah. Drawing. So like. It's, yeah, I've heard, I mean, and I don't speak Arabic. I mean, I know, you no, know, it's choice way. No, but I'm not so much of an expert yeah. either, you know. It's not even yeah. really the Arabic. No, I'm, I it's think I'm just, yeah. people's uh, lifestyle, you know, like the, the, inside people's heads, mm. you know. Oh, right. Like the mentalities that are different in the West. They're just, it is. There's just a lot of things. Where people do things differently. Mm. There's a different... Um, meaning about time <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and in commitments and family like family. kind of rules everything and, yeah um, yeah and I've actually seen a lot of differences between Jordan and Lebanon too even which are really interesting uh, here it's more conservative right definitely more conservative yeah, um, yeah. Um, of course I mean Lebanon's very petty but it's also like harder to make good Jordanian friends for me it's been that way because most Jordanians have a lot of family and their old school friends and it's more yeah. here and they see expats there's tons of expats you know, mm-hmm. they see them as very transient so I have yeah. some um, but you know whereas in Lebanon there's a lot of single you know there's a lot of single Lebanese that lived in the states or whatever and they're living in the city and they're partying and it's like and they're way open to meeting and becoming friends with anyone and like more cultural mm-hmm. so um, right. but I also don't work at an, if I worked at an NGO or in an office it could be different like if you have co-workers that because are you have more yeah. but still even there it's still you know, hard though it's not yeah. easy yeah because like let's say okay you know here like because with a local man you can't go too close with them because I'm yeah. a girl you know right. it's not like okay you and me we can go hanging out we can go see a movie here you don't really do that no no I no mean, way most of them Around. you know like the real ones <laughs> And then, you know, then there's the foreigner wannabe, Western wannabe guys yeah, who are yeah. like maybe always like running after the, the foreigners because yeah. they know that with them you can do that. But then I'm a little bit like, you know, That's skeptical. That's also weird, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to get caught in that triangle. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and then, you know, like you want to hang out with the, your female colleagues, but then they're more very conservative and they're more like reserved, you know, mm-hmm. right after work they go to to their house and, and they, they don't really yeah. they have yeah. kids or maybe you know they're not allowed to go out after yeah. in the night or 
you know, so it's like... Yeah. So he ended up having a lot of expat friends, maybe from all around the world. Like, that's cool. But it's, mm. it is kind of weird. Like, um, it's not bad. I mean, it's... And I and luckily, I play sports. I have some really good mm-hmm. um, ultimate frisbee yeah. friends. But I still don't see them that much. You but... Know? Um, and then people through her for heritage and connections. Right. But, um, but you know, if you stay here long enough, in eight years, because, you know, everyone, all the foreigners, you can make friends, but they all come with an expiration date. Yeah. 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 Like, in this eight years, I don't know how many people I have, you know, like, how well, many you're, times? I mean, yeah, I mean, most of them are two to three years. Yeah. So. Two, three, that's long. Like, usually they're, like, one year. <laughs> long well, most two. NGO people yeah. I know, I mean, are... You know, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> um, so what, um, I guess, well, I guess, uh, like, you talked about your day-to-day job, like, I guess with your day-to-day, like, is every day different for you, for, for you, and how do you balance your time, and, like, how do you, you know, how does that work with, well, so there's um, the part of me going to Zalka, and mm-hmm. that's basically more or less what I told you, yeah, and, uh, but uh, as I said, I don't go to Zalka every day, I just have to go up there, like, two, three times a day, mm-hmm. uh, a week. So the rest of the time I'm here in Amman. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you know, like buying material from downtown, visiting like uh, my other uh, participants from like this area. Um, I don't know, trying to work on new prototypes, new designs right. at home. Yeah, yeah it's I kind of like I'm always kind of in and out, which is nice because I never really get bored. You know, yeah. when I'm sitting in No, it's different. I mean, that's that's cool about your kind of gig that you're, you know, you're kind of, plus you're doing the whole process. You know, from the design. To the production, to marketing. the selling, it, to yeah. the marketing, to managing the brand. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. I, mean, I love, I love your brand. So, mm, thank you. Well, I mean, and how do you? Would you? I mean, you already told me a little bit about. Um, but there, are there other are there other impacts for Jordanians and Syrians and other refugees and even you say even foreigners that that are like other ways that your that that your center and then also your production is a, is impacting them. I mean, I know it's financially is a big part of it, providing for their families, but... Uh, definitely, I feel that, you know, because a lot of those women who take the job, who take the work from us, um, these are usually the women who have been housewives, mm-hmm. and they never even went out to for a job, official job, you know? Right. So they never really even experienced the, like, pleasure of working, like, yeah. earning money themselves, because yeah. it's always the husbands who do that. Right. So, like, these women, apart and from, some like, of the Syrian women, I would imagine, their husbands can't get work too. Well, a lot of them, the Syrian refugees, yeah, like maybe the, you know, also because the fact that they're refugees here, maybe, you know, the local people, they take advantage and, you know, they they do really hard work, you know, from uh, six days a week, but maybe they only get paid 200 JD a month. There are many cases like that. For for men, it's about like construction and things like that. Construction. Well, I know a very nice Syrian man who's working from the morning till the evening, like from like 7 a.m., until maybe 9, 10 p.m. every day, like, and then he was, I was talking to him, he was like... Doing, doing what? Uh, driver. driver. Driver of this rich guy. Oh, and like I thought car, that, car driver. Yeah, car driver. Okay. He does everything, all the errands for him. And I thought, you know, because he's working for a rich guy, I said, oh, you're okay, no? Because you, you have that. And he said, no, you know how much I get paid. I said, oh, I don't want to know. He said, yeah, I get paid 300 JD, you know, for just doing that. Really, like, he works for seven days a week. Yeah, for a month. For like, yeah. who knows if 70 hours yeah. or something. And I, so I was saying like, okay, but don't you get like some support from the UNHCR or something? He said he, they get 10 JD per person. So there are five people in the family. So they get 50 JD per month from the UNHCR. So add 350, 350 his uh, rent is 250. 
and the rest goes to feeding the family. And he said, "How can I make up a future?" And they like rent. That? They rent it. They're not in a camp or anything. They're in a they're they're here. In Zarka they're here. In no, no, they're in Amman. And they rent a place for two fifty, yeah. which is, I mean, that's incredibly cheap. Like, but they're a, not in the center. They're well, more right, like right. I mean, I mean, that's like normal for West, for East Amman and for other people. Yeah, but yeah. like, that's that's still like a lot of money. I mean, for them, that's you yeah. Know, and I'm like, yeah, and then. How many kids they have? They have three. He has three yes. children, small children. Is his wife able to to work too? So yeah, I mean, recently, I, you know, we started talking, and uh, you know, because I I can't ask them this kind of personal questions, right? right? Yeah, unless but you they want to help them, to me. You know? yeah. yeah. So I mean, this time I don't know. He was kind of like you know talking to me, like you know, he's the one who offered to tell me his uh, you know salary. Where'd you so, meet him at one of your three years? I'm years? actually, I mean, like. Uh, because he is the uh, he's he's working for the landlord of this building. Oh, okay. I don't want to be too specific. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and so okay. when we started talking, but he has no leverage. That's the hard part too. Like he can't go and complain or something. You know, he's taking advantage of because he's a refugee. You know, and so he, you know, so he can just get fired on the spot. So you know, he has, yeah. I mean, he has that bargaining power. And no. he's probably better off than a lot of Syrians. Yes, a lot of I mean, people. I even, you know, in the the people, the ladies who work in the factories. Yeah. Syrians, like you know, like some some sometimes I had people like that. So like they would work six days a week from the morning to the evening in a factory like Adidas or I don't know I forgot what, oh, what was one the of name. Oh, the quality. One of those you know factories the QIZs, sewing. The, the, this the is like hundred and fifty JD. A month. A month, Very and it's a slavery because they even like. You know, limit the time you can go to the bathroom. Oh and they're they're Syrian. They're not Bangladeshi. They're like Syrian. But you know, somehow. this in those kind of like Chinese factories or whatever factory, they're all kind of bad because I also know some Bedouin girls from Petra. They try to get a job like that, and they went to this uh, factory in Karak, and they got 150. And I said, you go to Karak every day from Petra just to earn 150 JD because you know For they don't month. have any other choice so you know they were kind of like excited to do it but you know after three four months they quit right mm. yeah i mean it's not i mean you just uh it's gotta be it's tough. but so, so basically i'm telling the 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 driver you can bring me your wife and let's see if she has any potential in like doing any of that because he told me that she's depressed because like thinking about the future that she doesn't have like what when the children they grow up after 10 years they don't have money to send them to school you know because these people are like they had good living before right so and you know they have this conscious what did he do in, in Syria? oh I didn't ask I didn't ask but you know you can by talking to them you yeah. can you, you can, can tell know. They're, they're probably middle income family yeah yeah, yeah. they are very well educated they are polite you know you can know that they uh, have and then they're here and it's just destitute mm. and they get you know a little bit of support but yeah. not, not much if you're like Bedouin family living in a tent and you never really consider these things it's okay right you know because that's all they have known but you right. know like going from a higher standard of living into Fort B. yeah and Syria is a very was a very well educated country and yeah. yeah exactly and and yeah that's that's interesting that people don't understand in the west a lot of times because you hear mm. these stories because it's not I mean there's all different types of poverty and so mm. you know it's difficult in Africa and other areas too but in area countries that have very low standard of very low cost of living we'll say right and they, you know, they're now getting the higher level in the cities and that. But you're right; people don't know it's that. But then, but 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 it's, yeah, if you come from a past where you have this high standard, you've been well educated, you you've been respected, you're mm -hmm. part of this culture. Yeah. That a country that's a leading a leading country for yeah. especially for production, right. textiles and 
you know, carpentry manufacturing yeah. and things like that in the Middle East, and then you're forced here and you're treated horribly, yeah. and you have no rights, you can't really work, you're taking you're advantage of... You're stealing the jobs from the Jordanians, yeah, but anyway, the Jordanians wouldn't even do right. that for that price. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and so it's it's all about, it's, you know, comparison. Yeah, it's, I mean, I hear the stories are hard, heartbreaking. Yeah. But that's what this podcast is partly about, is the stories. Like, I want to learn, we learn about you, but I also need, it's always good to hear these stories, and to mm. try to put a real face to right. it and let people understand the struggles that are here you know yeah. and the realities but I really um, ad- admire them because they are like so strong and they're trying so hard you know mm-hmm. and they work so hard these people mm-hmm. to gain nothing you know but still because that's what they have to mm-hmm. but they I don't know really they deserve something so good yeah yeah it's amazing what do you um, for now for your job what do you wish you could do better with your job or what do you uh, what you know what makes your job difficult today? I definitely want to expand more. And okay. actually, there's a well, talk of expanding. But yeah, definitely, I want my goal is to get bigger mm. so that I can collaborate with more women, which means, you know, I have to increase the sales. <laughs> so mm. I have to, you know, get, be much bigger. Yeah, I mean, I'm working on it. You know, you know that in, like last year I did a crowdfunding, so I have some yeah. funds now. In, in Japan, right? In Japan, yeah. And now I'm uh, about to start collaborating with another Japanese NGO who is starting a livelihood project in uh, Zatari camp. And they're a little bit lost because they don't know what to do and they don't know what they can do. So then I just heard that. So I just jumped in. I said, can I collaborate with you? I'm Japanese. (laughs) I said, yeah. I said, can I I just... Yeah, I said, you know, if you can provide me with the space, transportation, and the right to be up there, you know, so that right. you know, so that I can work under their yeah, umbrella. Exactly. I said yeah. I can, you know, cover anything else. And so, yeah, like I'm gonna go to Zatari next week and try to check out the place, talk with some ladies, like what potentially we can do. But there, because you know, they have limited like water, limited uh, electricity. So I don't think it's gonna be the same as like you know running it in Zarka Center. Right. So right now I'm like, tougher, yeah. yeah, so it has to be something more like simple, something more durable. So I'm trying to brainstorm for something, you know, some easier products to make. What else do you hope for, um, for the future of like next five years then with the brand, would you say? Or uh, I really hope dream? That, I really hope that it's, you know, it's going to be an internationally recognized brand, you know, so that we can start selling in more countries, in Europe, in Japan, in the States. Mm. I really hope to be there. Yeah, that's, I like that goal. And hopefully I will help you with that as well. Thank you. We shall see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now this is a broader question. Um, What do you think will happen with the kind of Syria Syria crisis uh, and development and aid industries in the region? So I know you're not as much in that you know industry per se, but you are. What, you're what to would it. happen to the country? Or well, what, what do you the, think will happen in the next say the next couple of years? What do you? Oh, you mean the NGO industry? No, I I, I mean, <laughs> what what do I mean? Oh, um, <laughs> the like this no the Syria crisis and with development say in Jordan, mm-hmm. you know you're a small social business aspect of that livelihoods and training. Mm-hmm. Do you what do you think will happen? Like maybe with you think aid will change or funding or you think things will get harder or better or do you think or you start working in Syria with similar programs if the war ends what do you do you have any like in a personal level or well like no I'm talking about what, like in your opinion what you see what do you think will happen if you don't have an answer you don't, if you don't I'm no. not really sure but yeah. you know I mean it's going to take a long time until Syria can come back to right. its feet so it's not like uh, hey 
you know, tomorrow, next month, they, they, they can all go back. And you also have to be aware that, you know, they risk to be executed once they go home, right? Those people who fled. So even if the war ended, I yeah. mean, it's still not safe for them because as long as the, the government is there. And, well, know, yeah, I mean, I know. Yeah, we'll so I mean, happens. but it's true, you know, like those kind of funding, it's not the, if there are other kind of problems that pop up, I mean, the funding is going to end. And you know my NGO, Japanese NGO, is going to probably end in the next one year, one year or maximum two. Yeah, so I, I didn't, I didn't know that because that was my, that was my other point. Like, what do you think about the change? I mean, the changing language, priorities, budgets from the West in general, but especially with the states and Trump, will that affect your work at all? Or? It's not because of Trump, but it's right. just that because it's That's an uh, emergency assistance, and uh, emergency as assistance for specific people, they don't give you funding for like twenty years. Because right. then it's not emergency. So that's why, like, yeah, we're so already... So Nico is ending... It will end. There's a talk that probably in 2018 it will end. Because... A because of the cut of the funding. And probably in Japan. Yeah. Toward, towards towards Syria, Syria response. Yeah, exactly. And so and cause, well, how many years have they been active then? Well, they have been here in Jordan at least for, like, 12, 13 years, I mm -hmm. think. And they started off, like, helping the youth in Hashemiye, you know, close to Zakka. And then, you know, they also help in the Iraqis and, you know, and then they became Syrian. And but there, but the last couple of years have been just, way, way yeah, busier. And fun. But then they're already, they're already, so they're already telling you to prepare for the wind down? They, they are, are. There is a possibility. We never know until, you know, the, that it's right renewed before every the, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you That's know, it's got to be, is that, is that frustrating? Like, is that... Is that nerve-wracking a little bit that you're living here, working here, and you don't know if the grants will well, be... Well, that's why we start to talk about it from one or two years in advance. Especially, well, okay, for the other, you know, programs, okay, children's program, you know, there's not much they can do. But, you know, one thing they have to think about is, like, including Joria, you know, everyone else. Um, what's going to happen to the project that, you know, we're doing? And especially, like, the pro program like us, like, you know, there are some people who is depending on this to, to eat and survive. So if Nikod is not su supporting anymore, what happens to Joria? Who is going to be able to support it? Is there any local NGOs who can take over and do it? Right. But this kind of design project is most likely they're not going to be able to. So we started making like researches on like um, uh, local NGOs in Zarka area who's doing similar thing. There isn't. There is some people who are doing some crafts, yeah, crafts, yeah. embroidery-ish kind of thing, yeah. but not to the same level that we're doing. So, and you know, so also that's why I think it's good for me to be developing tribology, mm. because if I have tribology kind of stable by the time Nikod is gone, I can just absorb them. Mm. I just right. have to make an effort to go to Zarka too from time to time without yeah. the help of Nikod. Right. But you know, if I have, uh, but it's nice to have the the support system of an NGO, obviously it with, is. with your uh, residency yeah. and visa yeah, exactly, and and just to be underneath it, obviously Jordan appreciates right that. because that's you cannot do this on your own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's why also kind of like you know I'm always kind of like trying to find the ways to stay legal. So now I'm like also with this other Japanese NGO who is much bigger than Nikod. Mm. And you know, they are much stronger than Nikod. Oh, what are they called? Gen. Gen? Gen. Okay. Yeah. Japanese. Japan Emergency N is what? Whatever. They're a government? They are private, but they are much bigger. But what's the, now there's also Japanese 
the USAID equivalent of Japan is that JICA? JICA. 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 Because they sponsor like that part, the Japanese. Yes, they're a governmental group. And they're okay. Are yeah. they pretty active here? Very yeah. active. That's okay. why they like us, uh, the, the Jordanians, because, you know, Japan is very, very friendly to Jordan. And yeah. They do a lot of like community, I mean, development stuff for them. Yeah. No, it's, that's, it's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, um, but how can, how can organizations fight back? Like, against, say, funding cuts from the West or, you know, winding down. I guess that's a little bit different. Is there any way organizations like yours can fight back to prove the value of the work or to, you know... A, the, their funding is not from the West. It's uh, it's solely from uh, this another Japanese I mean NGO. that, right, sorry, I'm talking, I said the West, but I mean in general. Cause it's not, it's not, there's nothing. You have to just kind of like write the proposal, submit it. And you have to, all you can do is to make your proposal sound really, really convincing. <laughs> and, Otherwise, and win the money. <laughs> yeah, win the money. It's not really like yeah, within their reach. And then, you know, you have a little bit of budget here and there, UNHCR, maybe someone gives a little right. bit. And then you have like private funding from like companies who want to donate a little bit here and there. But that's not enough to just, you know, have a whole nickel here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if, uh, you know, this, this uh, big Jap Japanese NGO who's funding, they're so huge, so that they are probably the ones who are feeding all the Japanese NGOs here in Jordan and so many other ones, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they have so many other projects to consider also. Right. So, you know, if they just think that, you know, like this year, distribution, uh, funding for distribution, like, it got, it got increased, uh, it got de decreased, you know. Funding for distribution of what? Of like, um, you know, winterization. Oh. You know things like the food in vultures, the camps or in the things villages. like that. Oh, right, a lot yeah. of that has been cut back. Yeah. But the nice thing is, with your projects, you're actually not relying on any U.S. funding right no. now at all. No, no. no. Yeah. You know, okay. You're one of the few. Most people are tied to USA or uh, government right. somehow, and people are you know really worried, and that's that's part of the reason I'm doing this to get people mm. thinking about you know where the money, where the funding goes towards, what it does, the impact it has at a local level. Right. I mean, how, how many women? I actually, I meant to ask you, how many women? Um, have come through the workshop, or how, or how many do you come employ? Through the workshop, or oh, that's what? a lot. <laughs> Thousands or something. Or Consider that they have been doing this for like the past four years, and every five six weeks you have uh, new sessions, new workshops, new term, and uh, every time there are like fifteen, twelve to fifteen people in the, the session. But that's that's just workshops, huh? Right. The uh, people making money. Um, I don't know, do the math. <laughs> <laughs> how many, at any given time, how many women are, are doing embroidery or doing sewing or working for you? Um, for Jory or Tribology? Both, both, yeah. Or... I think we'll just, we always kind of count it to be like 15 to 20. But mm -hmm. you know, the, the, especially the Syrians, they move a lot because right. like they would come, they would start with us and you know, maybe after one year they get uh, uh, sent to the States or oh, Europe. Yeah. You know, on the refugee program. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of them, they were settled. Yeah, we settled. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's one of the things actually that I've been interested in is working with refugees, mm. um, or you know, Middle Easterners, but in 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 the states actually, and doing some embroidery there. You yeah. Know, um, keeping it alive and having like an American collection, and Jordan collection, right. and Lebanon collection. <laughs> With, yeah, uh, it's nice. Yeah, so so you'd like you have like twenty, but then you're always getting new people in from the workshops, and you're always yeah. You have to if you don't stay ahead of it, you'll 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 have, won't have enough women to employ. 
Um, we always, you know, can find people to employ. We all, we also have to be careful because if they start taking too many and we don't have too much enough work, then that's not nice. Or the quality can go down. Yeah. So I mean, I mean your like, stuff is super high quality. Too, you have so. to kind of like you know feel it and oh, see good. what the people have, which kind of levels they have. I'm really picky on uh, who does what. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> what um, so uh, changing um, topic on top. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? And kind of where Jordan in Zatari County. No, hopefully not. Why are you laughing? I don't know because I. You've already been here for eight years. It's very possible that I'll still be here. I hope not. Yeah. I don't know. Well, where would you like to work? Kind of what capacity? And, and if you do leave the region, what will you miss most about the region? Oh, well, you know, people is kind of like uh, easygoingness, <laughs> like you know, that's the first kind of. Hospitality also. Yeah, here there's uh, yeah, like when you when I speak with like the older people, they I think I find them very like uh, spiritual in a certain way, and they have like very wise, interesting things to talk about, and that's like yeah, that's really cool. And here I don't know, just in Amman, it's kind of I don't really feel it as much, but like when I go down to the south where the people are like even more prim primitive, I like that. You know, yeah. very primitive uh, feel. The Bedouin, the Bedouin, Bedouin style. Yeah, I wish I could people live in there. I wish it was just really. Closest you would. What about like nightlife and? Oh, since I came to Jordan, I forgot all of that. <laughs> you don't go out in the mall. I mean, not like partying, but just you I know, arts culture. Friends. But I mean, even going to, you yeah, know, I mean, I mean there's not a lot in Mon, but you know, sports. I think I mean, for the, the past four years and a half, yeah. I like kind of like. I replaced that with all the, like, going to the desert and, like, you know, sleeping in the cave and, you know, those riding donkeys, that kind of stuff. But then I got, hey, that's not just what it is in life, right? Right, right. So then, yeah, I came here. And, uh, yeah, here, yeah, the arts and stuff. I mean, be, being here, I appreciate because I can be more in contact with people. Mm. There, I was really isolated. Right. And the only people I could really be friends with was Bedouins. Right. And, but they're kind of like tribal, you know? So, like, if you're friends with the tribal people, if you happen to be in a fight, they're all on their side. Like, nobody would be on your side because you're not part of their tribe. And that's right. just so easy. That's just a, such an easy map. And you know, there, like when you live in a, such a small, close-minded community, it's uh, very easy for you to be uh, mistaken, you know, because they just fundamentally don't really get you. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't mean, mean to like uh, harm them or, you know, hurt them, sometimes like unnecessary fights, you know, come out and you just don't know how to solve it because just like tribal, tribal disagreements things. that are deep and cultural and you're and you're part of it yeah and, yeah, and then work. like they're all like they turn their back on you because you're like the foreigner huh. so I really suffered that and like here I feel like yeah ah, you know I feel relaxed because like okay when I walk on the street I don't have to recognize people's faces right and I can just kind of like walk on the street without thinking that like somebody's watching me yeah small town syndrome you know yeah, like that's yeah, kind yeah. of anywhere to a, a point yeah you can be a little anonymous in a big city i mean there are four million people in the mon area <laughs> yeah um so do you think you'll i mean who knows but do you think you'll head back to europe do you think you'd ever go back to japan you miss living in japan at all or the states like in states, five no. years no, <laughs> definitely no? not no no that was a quick answer <laughs> 
States, no. Yeah, Europe, I would like to maybe. But you know, there also the still the situation for finding jobs and stuff. It depends on the countries, but like yeah. it's not still the best. So I mean, yeah, if I have a good plan, I will move to Europe. But I mean, but not Japan. Japan, oh, after living in Jordan for eight years, you just cannot go back to Japan to really? live there. Why? Because Japan is a very like strict mentality place, especially for the Japanese. And if you're a foreigner coming to Japan and they know that you're a foreigner, they know that you don't fit in, it's okay because you're a foreigner. But you know, me, I have been living outside of、uh, Japan for how long? Like 20 years? Yeah. Like, you know, but still I'm Japanese. So they would still expect me to be Japanese, but I'm not so much Japanese as you can see anymore.、Mm. And、uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I'm not. You, you haven't seen the Japanese stuff from my Japanese NGO. They are so much more Japanese. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. But、Me. anyway, but I don't know. Yeah, never say never. Yeah, that's, no, that's interesting. It's just interesting to hear because you live abroad in this part of the world and you always wonder, you know, a lot of these people do never go back to their countries, you know, because they、mm. want to either work in this development work, world around、mm. the world. But it's hard because how do you stay in touch with your roots in your, your country? Oh, my roots are completely. Well, you, have, you still have a lot of family there? You still go visit yeah, your family? Yeah, my parents there are still yeah, there. Yeah. Okay. But that's your main, main draw to go in there.、Yeah. Um, what,、uh, I, always, I always ask, do you. Have and we're kind of winding down here, so that's good.、Um, do you have a story or two, like a personal story? You did tell one earlier on that I liked.、Um, well, I guess about the guy, the driver, and some of those things. But do you have anything else, maybe with your business,、uh, your so that has one story that sticks in your head that's really interesting about one of your maybe one of your embroiders that you know affected her life, or maybe something kind of funny cultural experience. That you like to think well, about Jordan? Well, there are many of them. Well, I don't know. Well, I'll stick, I have many of them from, the, from Petra, but I guess I'll stick to the tribology and Jordan. Sure,、things. yeah.、Um, well, there are so many. <laughs> <laughs> kind of putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Well, well, this girl that I'm starting to learn、uh, teach、uh, how to use the sewing machine, I was just、uh, there the other day. And、um, yeah, I don't know, they're living conditions. You、There's, went to her house? I、or? always go to their house because、oh, she, can't, okay. it's like she lives the, close to the Jabal Hussein, so it's、okay. kind of far away for her to come, so I just go there. And、um, yeah, she's,、uh, before she used to make those camel keychains. Oh, okay. And,、uh, yeah, she's never like, studied anything before, but she's very clever and she's really quick to learn things. And how and she, old is she? She's... She must be like 21, 22.、Okay. Yeah, okay. But she's married, and、okay. uh, she just, they just had a. Like, A baby, four years old,、uh, four months old. Oh, okay.、Um, well, like their living situation is. They're、so、Jordanian?、Bad. or、oh, Syrian. Oh, they're Syrian, okay.、Um, their house is like half of the size of this、uh, room.、Oh. Um, last time I went, you know, it was like, you know, they only have like two or three pieces of mattresses to sit on, and you know, like the back, you know, resting piece, you know, like two or three of them. And I brought them the sewing machine so that I, can, I could teach her the sewing machine. Oh, you machine. brought it with you? Yeah, because they don't have it. I also do that because now I can do this with my、uh, funding that, that I got from the. Oh, the so that part、me. of the program that you go and teach people is kind of fun. I also do, but before, without this like, crowdfunding thing,、mm-hmm. like, I couldn't buy people like, sewing machines. You know? I couldn't have them because now I have a good chunk of、uh, funds. So, you know, oh, you bought her? 
This yeah. woman, you bought them her sewing machine, or yeah. you? Br- I thought you just brought yours to train her on it, but you left it with her because you, you have to. She has to use it. Huh. So right. I, well, technically, I bought myself right one new one, and, and then I gave her the one. Yeah, the one I'm using. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's on loan to her. Kind it's of all loan to her. Okay. Yeah, and I'm gonna see if if I'm, I'm gonna test it over like the next uh, few mo- few weeks. If she can kind of like start like doing something uh, with it. I'll keep it, you know, keep her, keep it in her house yeah. so she can use that's it. That's great because she can look after the baby and be at home. Yeah, and, that's the whole. But so, you know, like, I, she, they didn't have a table and they didn't have a chair, you know, they just have those mattresses. Oh. So I'm like, oh boy, how are we going to put this? Yeah, that's, that's like the, <laughs> that's the one thing you need is so a table and a we, chair. She has this kind of like mattress, like thinner than this, like mattresses. So she put three or three or four of them, she piled it up. And, uh, you know, she, like, she's like, there, a table. But it's basically, like, this high, you know? So she's uh, sitting on the floor, she has the thing, and her pedal is, like, here. So, like, she's, like, in this position. Oh and I'm gosh. like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I, next time I come back, I'll just get a little table from Ikea. Or I know. And get one of those. They have, you can get those uh, plastic chairs in the ballot for a couple, yeah, a couple I guess. JDs. That's Five JD, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but still, it's, like, that just shows that, you know, I mean, it's, it makes it even harder. And and you know, check this out. Like they didn't have money for the to buy the baby cot for the for the baby oh. that just came out four months ago. And so oh. <laughs> when I went there, but this is very creative. They put this like a uh, how to say like a metal nail. Bar, yeah. And then like there's this like very sturdy strong rope coming out of it. Yeah. And it's holding this like tiny mattress. That fits the baby. Yeah. And so the baby is swinging. Swinging and swinging. The baby might like that better because yeah. it's always moved. That baby's love movement. That's yeah. What makes sleep. But I'm like, I was just so amazed. Like, uh, I know. it's That's going to be so hard. But that's amazing you're giving her that. And she came to you? Or how did you. I was, I was looking for somebody because, like, okay, even for those uh, camel keychain, you have to be a little bit like neat with your hands, you know? Yeah. Not everyone can do it because I tried it on so many But she people. was doing it by hand before. She was doing it by hand and, you know, she was making money with it. But I know, like now because I work with so many people, that even if they don't know, they haven't done things before, like I can tell by the character if they're right. going to be good or and not. attention to detail. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is, really. Yeah. And so I knew that she was going to be like, because she learns really qu- quickly too and she... She's interested. So, you know, once, uh, yeah, so I was like one day asking uh, this other Syrian guy who lives close from here. Who made this? No, this I, camel. I, I, no, I was saying, like, do you know any like Syrian girls or like Syrian women in this neighborhood or somewhere in Amman who wants to work with me? Like, it's, that time I was looking for somebody for camels. And then, mm. like, basically, he brought, oh, okay. he brought, he introduced, introduced me to their whole family. So three sisters came and with their mother. So we sat down like in the living room and I taught all of them how to do the camel because they wanted to try. Mm. And the mother and the two other sisters, they're like, okay, this is not for me. But this girl, she was like, okay, I want to do it. I can try. And then, you know, she kept on going. And then, yeah, she became really good. So, yeah, I was always using Oh, so did you started with that. I, we started oh, with Oh, she that. started in those. And then... And then, you know, but she got busy because yeah. she got, you know, she was going to have a baby. 
So after the Christmas uh, time, I, she kind of disappeared because you know she just got the baby and she yeah. said, okay, for now I don't want to work because I have to concentrate on the baby. Yeah. And then you know now it's been now like it's April, it's been some time. So I you know, I spoke to her sometimes here and there, but the, you know this time I said, okay, do you want to? Do you know somebody first of all who knows how to work with a sewing machine? She said, no, I don't know anybody. But do you know anybody who wants to try? And she said, okay, me. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, so I said, okay, let's uh, try awesome. to meet up and try to see this. I love that story. I mean, that's... Yeah. But that's awesome. But you, and you've been doing this for years, so... Cool. Well, very, very cool. Um, is there anything else people should know about you or about your projects? We'll put links on the on the podcast. Yeah, but... no, I think that's it. I think we've talked enough. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked enough? Yeah. No, your work is great, and hopefully people will go on and see it online, and then we'll put links to how they can, can buy it, and uh, we'll keep keep up with uh, your projects and things. Thank so. you. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time, May. And, oh, I um, thank you. It was, it was awesome learning about all the different aspects of your oh, your, you your story. So asking me questions. Hey, that's what I'm here for. So. <laughs> thank you, May.